If you're not ready to change gear neurologically, this podcast is not for you. These particularly challenging times can actually be seen as a life-giving opportunity for expansion, disguised as an impossible situation. As we grow into our own wholeness through this global great awakening, we are more aware than ever that we are all one. Join with us to raise the collective consciousness, whole and one. You've got this. Here's your host, Sheila Ihirain. Hello and welcome everyone to Whole and One with Sheila, a show designed to introduce you to the people and the ideas that will bring you ever closer to mind-derived health optimization. More than ever nowadays, it's extremely important to understand the neurobiology of fear, courage and resilience. And that what we're able to achieve in our life and the extent to how efficiently we're able to execute on our inner vision and bring it forth in the world is entirely dependent on how willing we are to transcend fear, take those leaps of faith and become resilient in the face of challenges. I'm joined on today's show by Simon Haig, otherwise known as the growth strategist. Simon is a certified leadership coach and mediator, a consultant, trainer, lecturer, mentor, author, keynote speaker, and media host. Simon's courses, talks, webinars, and books, in fact, teach us that how effective we are in business, which of course affects the people we're able to positively impact, and therefore how much money we can make, is significantly affected by our ability to focus directly on something and keep taking action, despite challenges and what can often seem like oppressive circumstances. So Simon and working with Simon will build your leadership capacity within your business. And Simon is here today to give us some actionable takeaways so that we too can be resilient in the face of adversity. Simon, you're very welcome. Delighted to have you on the show. Hila, it's a real pleasure. And you made me sound very grand, but really I'm just like a piece of wood floating across the ocean of life trying to figure it all out. So, but it's great to be here. Well, it's just wonderful to be chatting with you online at long last. We've had lovely chats in advance of this. You most definitely are not just a piece of wood floating across (laughs) the waters of life. Because, Simon, if somebody popped your name into Google, they'd need an afternoon off and a pot of coffee to follow the meandering course of your life. So can you take us right back to the beginning, Simon? Your background is in law, isn't it? Well, that's how that was the start of my career. But I actually I was going to do I was actually going to do something completely different. I was going to do geology. I was going to study rocks uh, at school. I loved it at school. And then I just I surprised everybody, including myself back in England. I grew up in England and I did better in my A-levels than I thought. And at the time, I thought, what what's the coolest profession I can choose? Because I was full of ego and swagger and insecurity as well, Sheila. And and there was a program called um, uh it was called The Paper Chase. It was back in the 70s or 80s about a group of law students in the States. And I watched it and I was addicted to the program. So I thought the legal profession was the coolest thing to go into. So I, I studied law um, and I ended up becoming a lawyer. I was a lawyer for about 13 years in the UK, Ireland and Australia until I realized that really I'm more a people person and I really am more creative and 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 I love you know, just finding out about people and, and really bringing out, bringing out the best in them, kind of shining a light on their capabilities and, and, and trying to improve, as you do, trying to match their confidence with their capability. But yes, I started to lead a career in law and it was a great grounding. I mean, I learned 
a huge amount about risk, really. Everything in life is a risk, you know, and or it's about navigating risk. So that was the start, yeah. Amazing. And do, so when you were working as a lawyer, did you find that you were uncomfortable within that position or were you using it to leverage you into the next chapter? Well, that's, I, could write, I could write a book about just that question. The first thing to say is I always had real imposter syndrome. I, I was born, I think, with a decent brain, right? I'm, I'm lucky to have a decent brain. But I, always, I was the first person in my family. My grandmother was Irish. She left Ireland when she was very young, right? And first person in my on the other side of the family was from the east end of London and Yorkshire. I was the first person in my family to go to university. So, uh, and, and I'll never forget the very first day. It was either the 5th or 6th of September, 1993. And I, the first day that I was starting work as a trainee solicitor in London with one of the big five law firms. And and I don't mind sharing this. I sat on a bench in the, the yard, the gardens there of St. Paul's Cathedral, right, in London, because the law firm, a big grand law firm was just adjacent. And I remember saying to my friend, Adrian, if he ever listens to this, he'll remember, Adrian, one day they're going to find out and I'm just going to be, I, I had this imposter syndrome, you know, so it was just, I think I just always had a lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. I had the capability, but the lack of confidence and just listening to myself saying this to you, it's weird, you know, 28 years later, now I help other people match their confidence with capability. So I, I did have that. I mean, I, I loved it. It was a great discipline. Uh, but yeah, I struggled. I struggled with myself. It's funny, you know, I tried to go to Oxford University twice. I interviewed mainly because of ego and I failed twice, right? I, I passed the exams, but I failed because I lacked confidence. I'm pretty sure if I went now at the age of 53, I'd probably pass because I don't really care anymore. I have the confidence. <laughs> That's very interesting. So are you defining, are you very obviously defining the difference between confidence and self-esteem and that confidence is a learned skill that we can acquire and that we can lean into perhaps when in our most difficult and challenging times? Absolutely. And there's a difference between, if you can imagine a seesaw, there's self-esteem on the one side and there's ego on the other, right? And I, and, you know, I've, you know, People are addicted to whatever, right? Uh, work or alcohol or drugs or life or anything. The ego tends to go up and the self-esteem tends to come down. And that was very much me. I had high ego, but low self-esteem. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've learned to balance the two. And then in terms of confidence, definitely it's something I think that you can work on, right? It's something, yeah. it really comes, for me, it's a result of, working on your awareness, yourself and situational awareness and realizing that, you know, there's 8 billion of us on this planet, Sheila, 8 billion human souls, right? Even the people we don't like, right? Some of the politicians, for example, we are all equal. We're all equally valid, right? We all, 99.9% of us want two things out of life, to love and be loved. Um, So there's a difference between who we are and our skill sets. And I used to muddle them up but I'm equally as valid as every human being. Now I know that, right? I might not be as good at you as, you know, psychology, or I might not be a great sportsman, but that's different. They're my attributes. So it's just self-awareness, I think. Absolutely. I heard Ian Robertson chatting with Brian Penny recently about confidence. I wonder when I'd be able to remember this correctly now. And he said that there are various cells or attitudes or mindsets around building better confidence. Um, Some equal apathy some equal anger some equal anxiety so the can't do can't happen attitude is apathy the can do 
can't happen is anger. The can't do can happen is anxiety. And then the can do can happen is confidence. So we can get there. We, ha- yeah. we can build that skill set and we can lean into action, I think, Simon. That's what I notice watching your posts and, and, and paying attention to the people who are moving and shaking in the field of helping other people to find yeah. their best selves and, and operate out of it. A lot of it is to do with just hearing somebody else saying it's possible that you are not defined by what happened in the past or what you achieved in the past. You can lean into action and change your future, write a different ending. Absolutely. So you have a seven steps program. Will you tell us about that one? So, yeah, it's called the seven steps to successful growth. And this is something I've worked on really hard over the years. And it came originally out of a book I wrote called The Seven P's of Deal Making, right, which I wrote four years ago, um, four years ago, five years ago. And and an agent, a book agent in America said, I I read your book, Simon, um, and it wasn't about boring deals or business. When I read it, it was like that wardrobe in The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. You know, the the, the wardrobe the children walk through. She said, when I read your book, I still have shivers down my spine when I recount this conversation. Two years ago, she said this to me. When I read your book, it's like that wardrobe. And so you were writing about deals, but you weren't really. You were writing about how humans interact, you know, so how people navigate through life. And so you were, and I didn't realize I was writing about this, but I, it was subconscious. I was writing about resilience and awareness and influencing skills and assertiveness and things like a bit deeper than motivation. I call it grit, right? Yeah. And, and this is something that's very deep in me. And I, it's only the last couple of years through therapy, through counseling, through coaching, through doing my own work, through working with others. I've realized that there's a really deep reservoir of grit in me. You know, I mean, I've been in dark places and I think it's in, I think it's in all of us, right? We just sure. need to tap into it. And, and so, you know, my growth program really focuses on four attributes to, 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 the, to the full being, the business growth part, right? The leadership growth, the personal brand growth, the business brand growth, and then the mindset growth. So there are five elements. And then I have an introduction and an end. And if you can visualize four pieces of jigsaw, business, leadership, brand, and mindset, if you work on those four pieces, that jigsaw then becomes a full picture, the full version of you. So that's what the seven P's of successful growth Amazing. are. Amazing. How important is it, Simon, in businesses? And I suppose in public sector as well, um, that everybody is given enough. So emerging leaders to be recognized. So how important is it, we'll say from the point of view of that brand that you peddled, which is so effective, to give everybody their opportunity to be the best of themselves within any business culture? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm involved in a business called Inclusion in Leadership with three American partners. And the reason we've called it Inclusion in Leadership is, yes, we look at things like diversity and inclusion and gender balance, really important things, really important But probably more importantly is that we call it inclusion and leadership because everybody in an organization from top to bottom, left to right, we're all leaders, Sheila, like all of us. I'll never forget when I when I interviewed, I was the first legal counsel for Dell Computers here in Ireland. uh, And I had seven grueling interviews. This was nearly 20 years ago when I was much younger. Seven grueling interviews, psychometric tests. And apparently I was up against one other candidate. And what swung it in my favor was, as I was walking out of the reception, uh, I I just, I don't know why, but I turned around and I said goodbye to the receptionist. And apparently that's what clinched it, right? So you never know who you're talking with and who you're dealing with and don't burn bridges. So 
that's really important. It's really important. So that personal connection. And um, when you're training people then within business to understand that, what approach do you take to improving culture? So what, what would be your real-time takeaway for a business who'd like, obviously they should engage with you professionally anyway, but in terms of listening to this, Simon, and being able to take something actionable out of even this interview, what can you do to improve the culture within a business? Okay, there's, 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 there's a huge in this. And I talk about, you know, businesses need to drive cohesive and inclusive growth, right? So sure. there's five parts of this, right? So what drives cohesive and inclusive growth is, well, obviously, you've got to treat everybody with respect and dignity and ethics and win-win, and we're all equal. The five columns I really focus on when I, when I talk to leaders and businesses are, I've mentioned diversity and inclusion. That's really important. And inclusion in its widest sense, right? We're, we're all equally valid, right? We all have sure. a voice. Gender balance. And I don't mean male and female. I mean, you and I both have masculine and feminine traits, and we all need to be balanced, right? The third thing then is ethical win-win communications. Organizations who have truly ethical win-win communication. And what I mean by that is, if you're the leader, don't pretend things are going well when they're not. Because human beings, guess what they do? They fill the vacuums with worry, right? Mm-hmm. If they suspect their leader's lying, they're going to worry. So tell the truth. Sometimes you need to be careful about bad news. And the fourth thing then is how do organizations, particularly now, we're both online, manage rem- remote cohesive workforces, right? When we're all around the world. Um, and so th- those are really important. And then the fifth thing is cultural cohesion and, and assimilation, cultural cohesion and assimilation. So you have, you know, workforces from here in Ireland, from around the world. How do you get us all to appreciate our differences, to understand our differences, but appreciate them, understand stereotypes, but, but go beneath stereotypes? We're all equal. We're all, you know, there are, there are you know, there are always exceptions to the stereotypes. So go, be- so accept that there are a st- stereotypes, but go below that and treat, deal with the person rather than their stereotype. So they would be the five things that organisations really need to work on for cohesive, inclusive growth. Amazing, and that that respect that you talk about has to be way beyond lip service. It has to be evident in a very real way. So people being given opportunities. So when management is devolved down the line, that it's very genuinely given with an autonomy for somebody to very genuinely follow through to so to start because you gave them permission to follow through and to complete, to deliver and not to be second guessed. So really genuinely giving people their opportunity to rise into their best selves feeling good about it, giving them that sense of status and achievement and knowing that the business is better for that, that you're not losing anything or hemorrhaging anything to that. It's never about one person. It's always about team. So, Simon, I'm really interested in the fact that you began before all of this amazing online presence. And it is so interesting and so colourful, even just to watch it happening online, you know, from afar remotely, even if you never get the chance to, to buy into it professionally. You began your life in Australia, did you? Did you, be, did you begin your professional life in Australia? No, I started my life in the my professional life in the UK. Oh, in the UK, in the UK. yes. Yeah. So I spent so I spent um, so I spent the first. Well, I left the UK when I was thirty, um, and then I moved to Ireland. I was in Ireland for seven years. Then I was in Australia for ten, and I've been back in Ireland for nearly five years. So I've I've emigrated three times. I think that's probably it now, Sheila. So it's funny, you know, when I'm here in Ireland, people think I sound Australian. When I go back to the UK, because I roll my R's a little bit now, because I've lived in Ireland eleven years, they think I'm Irish. So 
um, international man of mystery. <laughs> oh, amazing. But do you find that that travel has hugely influenced and encouraged oh, your, yeah, the, the person that uh, you are today? Uh, honestly, you know, it's my younger daughter, Alice, is 20. And this isn't to brag because we spent a lot of money when we lived in Australia. Instead of buying things for our daughters, we took them a lot of places. So we traveled around a lot of Asia. And by the age of 18, my young, by the age of 18, I'd been to one country, Spain, right? Because I grew up in England. By the age of 18, my younger daughter, Alice, had been to 36 countries, right? Oh, amazing. And, and I just see how rounded and more tolerant and more aware and more culturally forgiving and more sexually aware and more just her eyes are much wider open. Her soul is much wider open or bigger than mine was when I was 18. So travel and, you know, and I, I guess one of the things I will never forget, and it, it, you can't really see it that deeply on my LinkedIn profile is I spent six years working with Aboriginal indigenous people in Australia, right? I was, I was, I, I, I worked with the world's biggest mining company, BHP, working with Aboriginal contractors. Uh, and then I became, I was headhunted by an American Alaskan business called NANA, NANA Development Corporation. I was their first CEO working with, partnering with Aboriginal businesses in Australia. And then I spent the next couple of years as consulting CEO, which sounds very glamorous to the Australian Indigenous Tourism Council, which, and, and honestly, I, I still haven't four and a half years later got over the, the relationships I've built with some of some of these indigenous people, just amazing souls and characters, you know, and some of the experiences that I had, I'll never forget. So I've been privileged to have traveled and to have met some amazing people. And to learn in the school of life and amazing yeah. to give your children that chance as well. It's, it's, yeah. It is very defining, isn't it? So your daughter is obviously very awakened, Simon, from all yeah. of these experiences, but as are you. And even when you tell the story of those amazing jobs, they are so glamorous and they are so exciting. And you, you wonder, if with your background in law, how did you get into this? How did you become available to these companies to headhunt you? What were you putting out there? Uh, it's a, that's a that's a long story. So when I was a private practice solicitor for third, those first those first thirteen years of my career, after a year, I thought, no, I'm not really a lawyer. I'm a business person, entrepreneur, coach, consultant, entrepreneur. So it took me twelve years to get out of pure law. And what I did was back in two thousand and one. I don't do things the the obvious way. I thought, how can I get out of the legal profession and go into business? Um, and I was too cowardly just to jack it in. So I thought, well, if I write a book on contract law and, well, what's the latest thing in Ireland is technology, then I'll get headhunted by a tech firm, which is exactly what I did. I wrote a book called Contract Law in an E-Commerce Age, which I'll, was the hardest thing I've ever done. I wrote this book in a year. Uh, I did a huge amount of research. And lo and behold, I, get, I got headhunted by Dell, right? So that was the way I did that. And then at the age, so I guess I've always had an ability to visualize outcomes and then I work hard for them, right? It hasn't always gone to plan, right? I've had a business failure. The other thing that I would say is that I've always had an ability to take risks as well, calculated risks. So at the age of 39, basically, I jacked in my legal career. I finished my last day as a solicitor in 19, sorry, in 2006. I literally rolled in the back garden in the mud in my suit, threw away all my law books, and my wife and I emigrated to America, uh, to Australia. So we start. So I think I've always had this ability to visualize outcomes when I want them. They tend to happen, uh, and I just take chances. And I've made one big mistake in business, but most of the time it works. You know, it, it works. It's I'm, weird. 
I'm intrigued at the rolling in your suit in the garden. Can we go back to that just for a little second? Was that your inner child coming out to play? Oh, huge. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because as 13 years as a solicitor, I felt so constrained, you know, because as a lawyer, for those out there who aren't lawyers and haven't been trained, it's drummed into you from law college that you're meant to be perfect, right? Mm. You're meant to get every document perfect. You can't be flawed, you know, and, and lawyers even have this kind of language. If you're not a lawyer, you're, quotes a lay person, which kind of suggests that everybody who's not a lawyer is below lawyers, which is rubbish, right? Sure. But, but it's drilled into you. And that, I was always, re- my soul was rebelling against that way, you know, because this is who I am. Like, I, I have a beard, I'm casual. That, that wasn't me as a lawyer. You know, so. action just erases humanity doesn't it it's you you can't have your opportunity to be different and be individual and be unique when perfection is strived for all the time and and ah. is the ultimate aim yeah. so you were clearly in the wrong place professionally and therefore personally for all of those yeah. years Simon. Yeah. but you didn't allow that to you didn't allow the the quit circuit to kick in in your brain you instead you used that as leverage into the next chapter of your life. So that's what the resilience is all about, isn't it? It's about these trip hazards becoming learning curves. And it's about understanding the neurobiology of that. So when you saw that happening and you were able to roll in the mud, I think that's the best analogy ever because it also speaks to me of the support you had from your lovely wife. Oh, yeah. Obvious and so hugely important because if you want to make a life choice like that, Sometimes you're defined by the bills you have to pay, the responsibilities that you've got, and your heart has reasons that reason does not understand, but sometimes you just can't in a given moment do what you know would be better for you and for your growth and development. But clearly you had the support there, Simon. You know, I'm listening to you there, and I was kind of desperate to come in because we've had this conversation as well offline, you know, and for me, I, I, I don't often reflect on this, but I, most of what I've achieved, I honestly don't think I could have achieved without my wife. You know, she's been so supportive. And, I, you know, I've been in dark places as well 11 years ago, and she, I risked losing her at that point because I took her for granted, you know. And, uh, and sometimes I still think, you know, how did I deserve her? You know, I mean, what does she see in me? Now, I do know that I do have positive attributes. I know that. And I know what they are. She'll tell me I'm very driven, extremely resilient. I'm very motivated. I'm not lazy. Um, I'm also aware of some of my failings. I'm very, I can be very self-centered, um, very, not selfish, but very self-centered. It comes with addiction and it comes with, it comes with success. It's a flip side of success as well, you know, and I can be very, I can work too much. I can be, I can, I can focus too much on myself. But, but that's fine as long as I'm aware of that stuff and I try my hardest to listen, right? And I'm constantly trying to improve. I guess that's the thing. Like we, we, it says in 12-step programs, we seek, we seek progress, not perfection, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you try to be perfect as a human being, you're going to fail, right? You're going yeah. to have a breakdown. So as long as you're doing your best, as long as when you make a mistake, recognize it and try your hardest and don't beat yourself up. That's so important. Okay, so you referenced the twelve-step program, Simon. You did you follow a twelve-step program? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm on a. I mean, I don't mind sharing at all that I'm in AA, right? So, so this is something that's very dear to me, and uh, and you know, I I battled with alcohol for 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 a fair period, and and I pushed against all this stuff. And for me, though, it's it's really important to share this because the the program is a program of. Th- 
of three concepts, which I think all of us could benefit from, right? The first one is willingness, right? Willingness is really important. Are you willing to learn, to improve, to be better, to be sober, whatever that willingness? The second concept is open-mindedness. Are you open-minded to what could come along, right? And the third thing then, and the most important thing is honesty, right? And I mean, and this is so important, the word honesty. Nobody teaches you this stuff at school, right? So honesty is not just me being honest with you and the, and the listeners. Probably more importantly, it's about me being honest with me, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a really good book um, called Into the Magic Shop by an American neurosurgeon called James Doty. And it's a true story. And at the age of 12, he came from similar-ish background to me. His, his uh, father was an alcoholic. Um, I, my mother was. And... Um, uh, and uh, he was broken as a kid, right? And he walked into a magic shop in California. True story in the 60s. And this old lady, in, well, he said old lady in the 60s, said, I, if you come back every day during the summer holidays, I'll teach you magic. He did, but she, he, she didn't teach him magic. She taught him the four key attributes to, a, to an optimized life. And they are, number one, relax your body. Number two, calm your mind. Number four is set your goals, Right. But number three, which most people miss out, is you need to honestly self be honest about who you are and where you're going. And you and I have had that pivot mm. in our lives as well. And if you, if I'd stayed as a lawyer wearing a pinstripe suit on a train from Sussex or Surrey to London, I'd just be the living dead now. That just I would be earning huge money, but my soul would be dead, Sheila. Yeah, I wonder so, even would you still be earning the money, Simon? Because I think when not. no, because and I no, I mean that only from the point of view that if you're not happy within yourself, no, you're the not. longevity isn't in it. I mean, the I that short term uh, big bust at the earning probably would happen because you absolutely have the ability yeah. and you were trained into it. And as you said yourself, you had that get up and go in you to yeah. be a real achiever. But long term, I just don't know if you're not in the right place and if you're not feeling the love in the room no. and not feeling like you're growing and developing. I don't know that you have the endurance for it. You know, no, I agree. No, I agree. I agree. So your lovely wife and that lovely connection that you had and the support that she gave you and the green light she gave you to just jack that in and start all over. I think that's hugely significant. And it ties yeah. up with the story, the, the four pointed story of the magic. And that is be honest with yourself. And then if you're in a relationship like that, be honest with each other, because as yeah. you work on your own self and your growth and your development, the relationship takes care of itself, doesn't it? It, it does. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, I look back at my parents and, you know, there wasn't huge honesty in their relationship and, and I grew up with that kind of broken role model. So I've I, honestly, I've had to almost, I've had this conversation with other people. I've almost since the age of 30-ish had to re had to create me, right? I actually grew up during my teens and my 20s not knowing who I was, what my identity was, because I came from a broken family, et cetera, et cetera. And so I physically felt myself building me, right? And then when I met my wife, Margaret, who's my second wife, I was married for one year at university with no children. And Margaret and I met 24 years ago. She comes from a completely different background, you know, middle-class Dublin, no arguments, no skeletons in the cupboards. And, and so she's always been the complete her, right? Uh, and so I've watched myself over 24 years kind of catch up and become a complete version of me alongside her. And I'm not far behind, you know. And it's a wonderful journey to, 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 be, to be aligned with your partner along that journey. It's wonderful. It is. It's amazing. The self-love, of course, is where it all begins. And then you're available to another 
and, yeah. and to everybody else that's special to you in your world in ripple effect the whole way out. But it does begin with self-love. And you're so right, Simon, that the, the mother-child dyad and the parent-child triad is extremely important in the formation of that in round one. But I, I think it's a lovely chance when we're chatting like this to just mention that that's not the beginning, middle and end either, though, of your formation as a human being, because like you say, you can readdress that at any time in your life. And a really wise thing is not to get stuck in the blame game, the villain and victim part of my mum did this, my dad did that, you know, this is all your fault. I think particularly nowadays, because people are quite oppressed by this pandemic and the restrictions mm. and, and the changed world that they've had to lean into. So that yeah. action that is required, we, we had come from a paradigm of, you know, think it through, change mind with mind. And it's good, that works. But this pandemic has kind of, it, it's thrown the cat amongst the pigeons when it comes to that thought first change approach, you know. It really has. Yeah. It really has. And it's funny you should say that. And, and, and I've never thought of this before, but I'm just going to say it. So on the one hand, right, if anybody looks at me on LinkedIn, right, they'll see that I've just been accoladed as one of the top 200 thought leaders by People Harm. And, you know, I'm accoladed by Thinkers360 and, you know, Marshall Goldsmith has done forwards to my book. But people don't realize that 15 years ago, I went for a run with some very sweet uh, male friends of mine who were basically my spiritual mentors, right? And I burst into tears in that run, right? Burst, like I didn't expect it. It came, I was sobbing. I was running around Dorky and South, South Dublin with them. And I just had to stop and I burst into tears. I was sobbing like a baby, right? And, and looking back, that was the beginning of a spiritual growth for me. And, and I honestly think that a lot of the, the, the hurt and the wounds and, and, and the bottling my fears and anxieties and stresses and the things that I witnessed, they were coming out. They were starting to flood out of me. And, and so I don't mind saying, some people might, might think, why are you who have this profile saying these things? Because it's me, Sheila. That's yeah. my journey, right? And if, if I, you know, I'm not looking for a job, right? I'm not, my CV is not out there. So I'm not looking to impress anybody. I'm just telling my story. And it's funny, you know, two years ago, two, just over a year ago, I started really telling my story, but it took me three years to, to pluck up the courage because I thought stupidly I'd get bullied for telling my story. You know, people from the past, no, what, not one person, not one person in the past has criticized me and so I, I, I do wonder why we do this to ourselves, why we stop ourselves from being the true version of ourselves and why we worry about what other people think. And I do think that a lot of people, you know, maybe, you know, never get to that breakthrough point and stop things. I mean, terminate their lives before they give themselves that chance to break down into tears. You know, I'm getting yeah. deep here, but it's so important. Oh, it's hugely important. And and it is actually life-changing for so many to realize that beyond fear, there is love. And that Absolutely. sometimes, it, even in, and, and you know, because when I was chatting with you before, I know we alluded to the fact that the, everything within us as a person is reflected in our business then or in our choice of, in our place of work, whatever that is, because we, we mm-hmm. always chat about uh, public sector as well because I come from a background in education and there's nothing perfect about 
that as an establishment either by any stretch and it's very demeaning and depreciating of certain individuals and um, very celebratory of others if they're lucky enough to fall into or bully their way into positions that give them power and a chance to be autocratic if that's their their, their choice the person choice so it's really important that we are able to get in touch with our vulnerability and tell our story when the time is right but Simon mm. in a way that's good for us that doesn't um sacrifice us because we don't need to define ourselves by that either i mean you're so much more than that you're you're that lovely story but you don't attach to that narrative you don't no, define don't. yourself on that you share it for everybody else's benefit yeah no that's very true and i'm very conscious of that and you know i mean just for example you know uh, something that i never talk about is i ended up in rehab in australia um over 11 years ago and on the one hand, it was the most awful time of my life. It was a really tough place, right? And I choked, my, my sponsor told me to go there rather than some posh clinic, which I could have paid to go to. And, and at that stage, I honestly, Sheila, thought I'd lost everything, my wife, my kids, everything, right? And so imagine, and I was in a room for two, I was there for seven weeks, but for the first two nights, I, I sobbed every night for two weeks, right? Uh, and yet... The point I'm making is, you know, and then I had to do various duties around the place. And every morning at six, we had to get up early and walk along the beach. And it was living hell. But I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Even in the darkest moments right, of my life, there were moments of hysterics and absolute unadulterated laughter in this place over silly things like somebody dropping something. And 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 I, I've never had before or since that it was just pure joy. Right. There was there, it's hard to describe this. I mean, in the darkest moment of my life, I was laughing my head off about stupid, childish things. And so I've experienced that. That's the point I'm making. Yes. I've experienced that juxtaposition of darkness and absolute light, unadulterated, yeah. pure happiness. Right. And that's that will never leave me. Right. So I can't afford to be duplicitous or dishonest or abuse people or use people because I know what it's like to live that raw black and white mm. life. If that makes sense. Oh, it most certainly does. And and that's neurochemistry that what you've just described is neurochemistry, which is so important for us to understand it. That that's not hormonal. That's not anything that it came from without. That's yeah. absolutely neurochemistry. It happened quickly. You were yeah. in a dark place. That was your, your set point. But those experiences with those people, there was integrity in the space. And so you were able to be vulnerable and laugh yeah. and experience joy. And it was very much then a threshold into a more healed space. So listen, on that note, Simon, let's take uh, a segment of refreshment and let's come right back to continue chatting about that neurochemistry, that mind-body connect, and how we can use that awareness of how the body keeps score to be the best of ourselves personally, in our relationships, and absolutely in business. Don't go anywhere, guys. Back in a few to continue chatting about resilience with Simon Haig. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Hole in One with Sheila. To reach the program today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Outside of North America, reach us at 001 5535560 or send Sheila an email from the Voice America show page. Now back to Hole and One. 
Hi guys, you're really welcome back. I'm here chatting with Simon Haig about resilience and what in fact is resilience and how can we find resilience within ourselves when we lean into action perhaps as opposed to overthinking things, hanging around, waiting for things to change, hoping then that we'll know what to do. Instead, should we just lean into action? So Simon, we were chatting before the break about the resilience that you built that time you were in uh, the, the residential in Australia. And it was really important for you because you came from a very dark place mm. to understand the light. And I think that you're using a lot of those skills now in mm. the courses that you teach on how people yeah. can bring that awareness of being your best self and seeing the best in everybody to literally close deals. So not to hang yeah. back, to instead lean into the action that is required to make businesses work. Absolutely. And, you know, it's about... <laughs> You know, resilience is, for me, it's like the, the foundations for a journey of growth. You know, we're talking about growth and you, you can't hope to be, you can't hope to truly grow and be an optimal version of you unless you have a sense of your own resilience, right? Because you can, because life comes at you like, you know, when you're taking a dog for a walk and you see the dog suddenly pull somebody on the lead to go and sniff a lamppost. That's what happens in life, right? It just pulls you in different directions. So you need to have, find a way within you to pull that lead back and continue on the journey or, or change directions. So you need a lot of self and self-awareness around this stuff. And so, you know, what is resilience? It's basically the capacity to cope with life. That's what it is. It's the yeah. there's, nothing, there's nothing highfalutin about it, right? Um, but there are, for me, there are three types of resilience. There's self-resilience. So, you know, you know how, we, how we navigate relationships, how we deal with ambiguity, um, all that sort of stuff. Then, but then there's life resilience, how we navigate through life and how we connect and network and, and how we stop ourselves from saying the wrong things. And then there's what I call societal resilience, how we show up in society. And for some reason, nobody teaches this, us this stuff in school. And I know this is a huge you know, interest and concern for you because imagine if we did have an awareness of what I call power skills rather than soft mm -hmm. skills, you know, how to be more assertive, right? I mean, there's a difference between being passive on the one hand and being aggressive on the other hand. And the middle part is being assertive. Nobody taught me that being assertive means asking for what you want, feel, or desire, number one, in a way that's respectful of others, right? Why did nobody ever teach me that at school? Right. If we if we were all taught these things, or at least a, a light is shone up, shined upon them for us in the earlier years, surely we would have slightly better, uh, uh, we, we'd have a better context from which to operate. It, you, you can't force people to practice these things, but I think you know I'm a bit of an evangelist that you know we need to start shining a light on some of these power skills. Right. It's so important because. Particularly now, as you said, during this, these pandemic times, I'm seeing so many people struggling, you know, because particularly a lot of, you know, I've been asked to do a, a radio thing over here in Ireland, particularly a lot of men, right? We talk a, a, a validly, you know, we just had International Women's Day, a lot about women and et cetera. But, but there are a lot of men, right, who uh, are in these cool jobs, right? And, and they, you know, they're putting on a brave face and they're not, for what conditioning or whatever reason, they don't open their hearts but they're dying inside they're mm -hmm. burning inside right and and i you know i i'd like to reach out to more of them right yeah. i mean it it's equally as tough it's not just tough for women in this oh, world or, I agree. or people of color it's equally tough for everybody 
you know. Simon, I want to say respect because thank that is that is so true, and that's exactly where it's all at. It's it's all about all of us respecting each other, realizing we are all one, male, female, 50, 25. Yep. So there's a lot of chat nowadays about the youngsters and how uh, COVID is extremely hard on them. And I and we get that. And there's like mm. a catch-all awareness of youngsters and they can't go to their college courses so they're not mixing with their pals and the, the children who weren't at school in the primary school level and then at secondary school level, the whole confusion over exams and we get all of, and it's so true. It's equally mm. true then of the older people who have bills to pay and still have to yeah. turn up with their life in these challenging times. And yeah. the people who maybe whose relationship was, you know, less than its best before this happened. And now there's a light shone and that's everybody, absolutely everybody is mm. having to dig so deep in these times. We need to all be aware of each other, as you say, not just the very obvious marginalized parts of society that we exactly. chat about all the time that we actually probably in that case look to what's not so obvious like when you reference the whole cohort of men hmm. there is a presumption that men are you know big enough and ugly enough to carry on and yeah. you know not feel it at a heart level but men are more in touch with their female side nowadays men cry the same we all cry the same you know and if they didn't if they don't they, they probably should be crying because yeah. crying such a huge release you know and and you know, bring it back to the work I do around, you know, I work with, you know, entrepreneurs and startups and leaders and big businesses, right? And I try, I try carefully, right, to merge the language we're using here of authenticity and love and respect and resilience and self-care, right? But I blend that into business language. I guess that's what kind of differentiates me to a large extent from other coaches, consultants. I try and blend the two, right? Um, and, you know, I started off doing business and leadership and brand work. And when I go into companies, I'm actually meeting a, a new client later today, 95% of the time it's, oh, Simon, what we really need help is with, you know, psychological safety. It's how do we create a culture of um, non-avoidance? How do we how do we interact better with each other? How do we get the quiet people to become more confident? It all comes back to the human stuff. So that's, sure. that's why I love what I'm doing now because it merges my business stuff with, with the stuff that I've learned through my own journey. It's through wonderful. Journey. Exactly. And that's why you are the growth strategist. And you so are because uh, everything is about, will this grow me? So will this grow me as a person? And then exactly. in a business scenario, Will this grow me? Because if this grows me, this has potential to grow my business. So yeah. everybody being willing to stop, take a moment to check and see, well, will my involvement in this grow me? So even if it's only um, the, the chat about somebody that isn't very helpful within a business environment, mm -hmm. energy has nonverbal language on it. People pick up on that and exactly. it's not helpful. So they're the small things that we need to get people to become aware of and exactly like you say, find the language for. So even mm. our robust and um, very business-like gentlemen who yeah. formerly mightn't have chatted like this to actually get a language for it that they're okay with, get a fluency with it and look after people's basic emotional needs and yeah. then the business will look after itself. It's funny, you know, when I do, I do a huge amount of Zoom training and coaching. And, you know, I work, for example, in sectors like the aviation finance sector, which is very macho, very ego driven, very money, very capitalist. Right. And I'll always look at the audience and some of the last to share would be the more kind of arms folded macho men. 
But it's interesting watching the breakthrough moments. And then all of a sudden, you'll see them send something in the chat and they start opening, you know, and, sure. and it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to see them. You can almost see the sense of relief that it's not, nobody's going to persecute me for saying something soft, you know? <laughs> sure. So it's, it's nearly like, well, we chatted briefly a while ago about addiction. Isn't it nearly like addicted to the person type that we've operated out of for so long? So that neural pathway expects us to be um, burly and non-contributory on these occasions. And you, our amygdala is waiting for that and would see anything else as a trigger of danger because that what was, that's what was our norm. Yeah. So when you go to change anything, get ready to feel uncomfortable. But isn't it wonderful when the language that you use is luring, it's just like watering that flower and allowing it then to open up in the sunshine. So these men getting that opportunity to realize it's okay to get in touch with your feelings. It's nearly like a bold word at first, isn't it? <laughs> I know, but the, the feelings is it basically, you know, it's the anchor, it's your anchor. I mean, if you don't get in touch with your feelings, you're gonna float anywhere. So you need to understand your own feelings. I went on a residential course, training course here in Ireland nearly 20 years ago. I was the most junior uh, executive. Uh, I won't mention there were some very senior executives from the States. And it was a week's residential, right? And, and the premise of this week, it was run by a guy called Mike Fisher, who was an emotional intelligence expert, and Richard Olivier, Sir, Sir Lawrence Olivier's son, the great actor. And the premise of this week, it was built around Shakespeare's play, Henry V, which I knew nothing about because I'm not literary. But the, the play is about... Um, a young king who goes into war the next day, right? And the night before the war, he thinks, on the one hand, oh, I'm so brave and I'm the swagger and the ego and I'm going to slay the enemy. But on the other hand, there's the little boy who's terrified and crying and does, uh, terrified of war and doesn't want to be there. And so that was the premise of the week, to be a truly effective leader, business or in life, personal life, community, whatever, you need to understand the dark side in you and the light side. We all have it. All human beings have the capacity to love and to kill. Let's face it, we can Absolutely. all do this stuff, right? Yeah. But if you shun that dark side in you, if you avoid confronting it, if you don't recognize the voices that come from the back of your head, then at some point you risk them coming back, right? So you do need to confront that stuff softly and gently, not chastise yourself and be aware of it. And there were 13 of us on that course and 11 had sobbed by the end of that week. Oh. And so that's the premise of this. To be a truly effective leader, you need to understand both aspects of you and be aware of it. And, but, but there's a responsibility. Then you don't use that, right? You use it from, from a good, in, a good, in a good way, from a good perspective. So that was really powerful. Yeah. That is so powerful. And that's what makes your work and your style and your brand so unique, Simon, because you really are marrying that personal growth with the capacity to grow your business when yeah. you grow your person and the persons of the people within your business. It's, yeah. it's quite basic, really, you know, and, and I mean that with all Absolutely. the respect in the world, but it is quite basic and yet it has been overlooked and you do it with such fluency and such panache because you have experienced the darker side and you're willing to, to some extent, share that insofar as it matters. You, it, it, that exactly. was then, yeah, it was only, that was the portal through which the you today was born and so it only matters from that perspective but it does yeah. matter at that level because it gives us I suppose to some extent common ground and a language that we can share with each other just even to get the convo starting yeah no and you're right and so 
I use that, and that's why I talk about the four aspects, right? So personal growth. I always start off with personal mindset growth um, because, you know, if you don't have an awareness of you, what makes up you, then how can you truly move on to the second area, which is leadership growth, right? So you need to understand your emotional intelligence and your triggers and, what, and your motivations and your grit, et cetera, to them to be able to determine your to, to then underpin your leadership growth skills, which are things like assertiveness and influencing skills, to then go on to business growth, which is growing a business and strategy, et cetera, to then underpin your brand growth, right? Uh, and, and when I talk about brand, your personal brand, but also your business brand. So you can actually put money on your balance sheet, right? If you have a strong brand, right? A business brand. But that's only going to be underpinned if you've done the work on the business and leadership and mindset, or from a business perspective, instead of, you know, from a human perspective, reputation is the equivalent to brand. So yeah. it's cumulative. You have to work on your mind, your leadership, your business, and your brand. That's very ambitious. It took me four years to put that together, but they all weave in together and then they come backwards. They do. And it's lovely because I, I imagine that it, like the brain and um, the nervous system do five things. They look to sensation in the universe, how you mm. perceive it, how you feel about it, what you think about it, and then how you action it. So probably what you're saying is if we take that from the back end in, action it, get a look at what we thought, how did we feel about it? How did we perceive it? What was the sensation? When, by, by taking it from the back, from a backwards view, you can actually see how you can continue to do that and scale your business. So it's exactly. it's huge. It's absolutely huge, Simon. And huge. it does come back to the basic emotional needs of every individual within an establishment. So everybody leaning into their innate resources to be the best of themselves, to be responsible. We have rights within businesses, but we have responsibilities with those yeah. rights to be the best of ourselves and pitch the best of ourselves exactly. into the business and work exactly. together collaboratively. And in so doing, then what we're doing is we're allowing ourselves to action the change that we envisage will improve yeah. the business and thereby improving ourselves all the time. So it is, it's very, it's quite reciprocal, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I, I, I've just done some work with the Royal College of Surgeons over here in Ireland. And it's funny, just this morning, I was asked to give a, a quick paragraph on a speech that the, the head of the department is going to give to the graduates, right, which was a great accolade. And, I, and I, I'll read out what I said. And, what it, and it is, you are all leaders in this fast moving world. Make sure what you do is always ethical and inspiring. Be calm, listen, be measured in your responses and be unwavering under pressure. This way you give yourself the best chance to be truly inspirational leaders. So just reflect on you, right? You, right? It's not about your skill sets and your attributes and your exams. You need all that stuff. But be calm, be ethical, be inspiring, be, be measured, right? Um, and listen. Truly listen. And listen to yourself as well, you know? Yeah. So... I just wanted to share that. I love it. I absolutely love it. And again, as you say, because when you're when you're calm but alert, so when your arousal is sufficiently up to engage you, but you're yep. calm, you can access yep. your thinking brain and make wise choices. And that's exactly. where the ethical side is possible. Sometimes people aren't aware of human currency and they're making choices at a time maybe when they're not accessing their thinking brain, when they're very stuck in their limbic system, maybe, yeah. you know, over-emotional about things. And then they can't be the ethical 
person that they need to be to keep everything moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think there's another part of this. And, and you, and, and Sheila, you, you speak the language, right? better than I do because you're professionally trained in this. So I almost feel a little bit inadequate when I say this stuff because I, I work from my experiences. But there's another part which I think there's a, there's a part around frequency, right? And I do think that um, if, if you're at the right place at the right time and you're being authentic and honest about who you are and the way you communicate, you, and also you have, you, you're very careful about your boundaries as well, which is very important, Right you do tend to attract the right people into your life, right? But that's a lot. I've just said there's a lot there. You know, mm -hmm. you need to be aware. You need to create boundaries. You need to give yourself time. You need to slow down. You need to listen, which I'm not always good at, right? <laughs> and it's, and I'm, I'm noticing, Sheila, that, and this is really important, that the, the times that I'm busier, which is now, right, I'm not as attuned to the conversations I'm having with other people as the times when I'm completely relaxed and calm. And so I think that's what I would say to the listeners and the viewers is just really, you know, somebody that you've interviewed, interviewed Justin Caffrey, would often talk about less is more, mm -hmm. right? I find that difficult because I'm very ambitious, ambitious and I'm driven and I'm doing a lot of things. But the periods that I do slow down, I tend to be more attuned to that frequency and better things come back, if that makes sense. Oh, 100% sense. And you've taught me that. We chatted about that. I was actually out for a little stroll. We chatted one day on the phone yeah. and it was really significant. It was such, it was a space that I, I pinched finger and thumb to remember because um, I was breathing in the fresh air. I was um, taking a little break from my work. I was on one of those very, very busy days. And I actually thought I hadn't time to leave my desk. I really genuinely felt that I hadn't time. And that was the very time that I needed to leave my desk. And all I had to do was stroll across the lane beside where I live three minutes after leaving my very uh, focused environment. So when I took my eyes off my screen, because when you're focused on something like a small screen, yeah. you're throwing so much attention into that tiny space. You're throwing off a, a norepinephrine all the time and yeah. it's not healthy. You need to break that. You need to get a more panoramic view, even if it's only for a few minutes, just to change the neurobiology. And that's yeah. what I did. And then by a blessing and um, divine timing, you and I got to chat as well. And exactly yeah. like you say, the doing less to achieve more was so significant, even in that tiny window. And if people yeah. can take that as a message from today, it's very important to be driven and to have yeah. an end goal. And the growth mindset, the growth strategist, is, of course, that you enjoy the small wins on the pathway to that. It's, you're not going to achieve every day. Yeah even a sample of the end goal. But if you can be gracious and appreciate that you're, it's all going in the right direction, then you're dropping a little bit of dopamine into that, feeling good about it, and you're making it possible because you're actually feeding your soul on the way I to agree. it, not exhausting I yourself. I agree. And, and three words that I would throw out there to the listeners, and this is something that a journey I've been on, and I've only just figured this out in the last year or so, is to allow yourself to go on this journey of true, authentic, aligned growth. Yeah. So, so the three things that I think we all need to really, really focus on are, A, do you like yourself enough to give yourself a break, to go for a walk? B, do you respect yourself enough to do that? And C, do you trust yourself enough? And really think about those things. Do you mm -hmm. like, respect, and trust yourself enough to go for that walk? And even though it's difficult to do it, 
you'll say this. It's those moments you do that. It's not surrendering, but it's liking, trust, respecting yourself enough that the bits of magic happen. And that's why we had that conversation when you went for that walk. That would never have happened if you and I were both staring at a screen. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have trusted, liked, and respected ourselves enough for the universe to shite up a ray of light into that. Absolutely. And then, Simon, therefore, to trust the process and trust the universe, because yeah. you realize then, well, there was obviously another involvement in my leaving the table eventually and getting off out for that little stroll and it was just enough to catch my breath just enough as you say to remember to like myself enough respect myself enough and trust the process enough it's all going to be okay and you'll get so much more done when you go back in there do you know that we have um ultradian rhythms within every circadian rhythm and so our brain shifts from left to right within every 90 minutes Mm. so you need to take that little break you need processing time and if you don't take it you're less productive. So even just knowing that sometimes is enough to give yourself the permission slip to just have a little break and have a genuine break, but really enjoy that break. Be conscious of the fact that this break is still part of the process. You know, you're not slacking. Simon, we're fast approaching the end of our show. We could chat for hours. I know that we will continue to chat on all of these issues. Um, There's so much more I'd love to talk to you about and at least steer us. I know we haven't time to chat today, but it's something I want everybody to have a look for on on, um, Google, through LinkedIn, through various media platforms. It's an amazing concept where there will be um, learning capsules available to school leavers third level isn't it mostly Simon is it yes it is yeah no it's the world's first soft skills academy um, and it's bringing shining a real light on the core I think navigational tools that I mentioned before that we need to navigate through life things like influencing and resilience and self-awareness and communication and connection all those things that if a light is just shone on all of those things we can pick and choose what we need right but I think there's huge value in this Absolutely. And people need it now more than ever because they have it's nearly like a module that should be mandatory by the end of every degree course. Absolutely. That you have the the soft and and actually, as you say, the power skills, not even the soft skills, the power skills to handle employability there. Mm. Otherwise, 10 years from now, well, anyway, let's let's not worry about what hasn't happened yet. Let's get your power (laughs) skills in place and we won't have any problems. Exactly. Simon, just before we leave, will you tell us what whole and one means to you? Yeah. So for me, whole and one really is about alignment, right? So it's about tapping into the true, authentic child that was in you, right? That that's always in you, right? And using that in the older body to project out to the world. So that vulnerable, true, authentic, non-clenched buttock version of us that we see on our LinkedIn profiles. And so it's, and then taking that into your business life, and so what that means then is, you know, if you to be truly successful in business and leadership, you need to have that drive. And to have that drive, you need to have that awareness. And to have that awareness, you need to have that connection to the true version of you to then lead then into building strategy, to then finding opportunities out there. If you avoid that true, authentic, aligned version of you, you're not going to be able to validly put together a strategy and connect with opportunities. That's what it means to me. Oh, Simon, thank you so very much. Thank you on everybody's behalf for all of that wisdom. I'm sure that you've helped so many people to unlock a clearer pathway forward. I really look forward to chatting with you soon again. Thank you so very much. And good luck with all of your ventures. It's so exciting to watch you online. Thank you so much. Guys and girls, that's it for today. Thank you so much. 
Please tune in every Wednesday on Voice America's Empowerment Channel. Bye for now. Slanga forward. Thank you again for joining us for Whole in One. Please join your host, Sheila E. Hirine, for another edition of this amazing program next Wednesday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we meet again, remember no matter the question, love is the answer. You've got this.